Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the Hour of Badass Power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three, Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. We'll be here with you for the next hour talking about all the big stories that have got our interest up this week. And of course, answering your problems in our problem page section, Badass Balls Ups, and introducing you to some brilliant women that you need to know more about. But starting up, we're talking about the stories that have really caught our eye this week and there has been one which we simply couldn't ignore and that is the disaster at the Grenfell Tower, the fire that took place that there this week. Nat, it's actually your kind of home community, isn't it? Tell us what's been happening. Yes, it is. Um, so it's it's ridiculously harrowing, this story, because firstly, it, it didn't need to happen. Um, it was all prevent- preventable, but I think what I want to focus on is the community effort. Um, the thing that I, I noticed, uh, I went down there th- that morning because I know um, the the school there really well. I'm, I was part of the founding team. Um, I know the teachers and the students and, and the parents and the families. And going down there, the community rallied without anyone needing to say anything. They, you know, literally they were bringing that donate people that didn't have much because they were also evacuated were going to the shop with whatever cash they had and and, and buying food for people that, that didn't have anything. That then, through WhatsApp and social media, drew, drew sort of the next most immediate community of people down to, to drop things off. And when I went to the Tabernacle Centre, um, I got there and it was maybe, you know, there were a few bags and things. And just, I started looking at social and seeing the, the, the call out to say, you know, bring nappies and taking a really proactive approach around, well, what do you need? Is it clothes? Is it toys? Is it books? What do you need? And the volunteers there being so on it, they, you know, just organising things into women's clothes, men's clothes, sizes. And that, for me, gave me it just a faith in humanity that if the politicians don't get it right, if government doesn't get it right, if the systems don't get it right, we've got our own backs. We can figure it out. I was then really hurt to watch the news this morning when we were preparing for the show and see that, you know, we've had the Queen and and Prince William go down there and they've selected the whitest faces (laughs) to present to her. They've, you know, they've presented the the most presentable people and that really hurts me because ultimately most of the people that have been affected are people of colour. It's an ethnic area. It's it's an Arab area. Um, It's, it's, you know, it's it's working it's working class folk, and that's not to say there aren't white people that live there too. There are. It's it's a very diverse um, place across the board, the, the whole of North Kensington. But they picked the most palatable people to have on camera and to introduce to the Queen. We didn't see what ha- well, I didn't see what happened inside, but that just really hurt my heart. So I thought that when I was watching the news the following day after it happened, and I think I was watching the Victoria Derbyshire show, and they were bringing in lots of people from the tower block itself, but also from the surrounding area and people who'd been watching it and had reports. And I sort of thought to myself, I was like, this feels like... This isn't what I thought the ethnic makeup of that area was. I thought there were a lot more people of colour and pretty much everyone you've had on talking about this is A-Y and Mm B-male. 
this feels really strange to me. And it was only when I was talking to you this morning and you were like, nope, that is what's happening. And that's not what the makeup of this area is like at all. That I thought this is just media kind of trying to create itself back on screen again. And it infuriated me because one of the things that I didn't know that you were telling me about that is kind of the guy who's leading this is a Rastafarian. Yeah. Have I seen sight or sound of him anywhere on the media? No. And it's just appalling, isn't it? Totally appalling. And the other thing that I found that was really bad is, you know, Theresa May got criticised for going down there and not meeting the, the residents and the survivors. And the excuse was that she didn't want to intrude on their grief. And I'm like, God, that's such the British way of doing stuff where the British culture just cannot handle anything that might be a little bit uncomfortable. You know, like, and Theresa May is the epitome of, like, the the British culture that I just don't identify with and just don't want to be a part of. And I was just like, you know, just just be uncomfortable. Be unco- this, is, this is a really uncomfortable situation. Be uncomfortable with these people. See what they need. Have some empathy. And perhaps you will just have a little bit more awareness of what's going on in the world too. Like, But this is why I thought, do you know what, if... if- the people in power can't deal with this yeah. the community's going to figure it out so there's a fund there's a just giving fund which started off um it was started by Haley Yearwood who is a year she's the head of year 8 at the Kensington Aldridge Academy uh, she set it up because she knew that ultimately all of the other funds set up wouldn't come from the community and just you know the Kensington Aldridge Academy is the school that's just by the it's, by it's the at the bottom of the tower yeah. it's, it's it's it sits below the Grenfell Tower it was all part of the same um, redevelopment along with the legislature. She she set up a just giving page and she set the target of a million. The million was reached. I think it must have been overnight last night. So she's increased it to two million. And and for me, that's the if there's any shining light that comes out of this is that the community will figure out what it needs and it will rebuild itself. It can't rebuild the building, but it will rebuild a sense of um, what to do next and hope. So if you want to donate to that, just so you know, the link is justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash families of Grenfell Tower. And we'll also put that out on our social media at Badass Women's Hour. Um, Our second story this week is... uh, from the States. We're heading across the pond. Emma, what is it? Yeah, we're talking about NASA. Um, NASA are, you know, just an incredible organisation. What they've done lately, I think, is really incredible. So they've just announced their next kind of group of sign-up of people who are going to become future astronauts. And they basically have picked, well, it's basically they've got 50%, uh, almost 50-50 male and female. So there's five women that have been chosen and seven men. And the statistics for becoming an astronaut at NASA, so basically they had 18,300 applicants from across the states and only these 12 were selected. So basically your odds of being selected as an astronaut are less than one in 1,500. So the fact that half of them are women, my immediate thought was, well, if NASA can do it... (laughs) Well, what is everybody else's excuse? So, yeah, there's like it's really tricky. Like there is a lot of training. There's a lot of things to go through. So I just thought it was really amazing that NASA is is kind of setting the agenda. And, you know, that's a pretty aspirational. Um, I don't know. Would they be a company? Can we call them a company? Yeah. What are they? Are aspirational they? target for yeah. any organization. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, well, NASA have done it. No one else has got an excuse. Mate, can I just, it's beyond tricky. Like, I, I think we need to find another word for, for what it takes to be an astronaut. It's it's, it's close to impossible. It's <laughs> uh, charmingly British, isn't it? <laughs> so slightly difficult. <laughs> Requiring a small amount of effort. <laughs> Basically, you have a better chance of getting into Harvard than getting anywhere near the moon, apparently. So Harvard's <laughs> acceptance rate is 5.2%. So, uh, yeah. So, okay, it's not tricky. It's really, really hard. <laughs> but what I like about this is they're taking women into areas that are... So being an astronaut, it's science and it's athleticism. Two areas where we think men dominate. Mm-hmm. And good for NASA for actually saying, you know what, we're going to make the time and effort because I'm sure they probably had to go out and find those women. Right? I'm sure they actually had to work a bit harder to say, how can we make sure our class is balanced? And also the fact they're now going to have to think about things on a much more interesting, I think, level. Because when you send somebody to space, you have to cater for all the biology and mm. all the physical behaviours that go with that. And they could just say, do you know what? It's enough for us to just think about how men's bodies behave in space. We're just going to do that. But instead, they've gone, no, we want to look at it from all sides. And I am... Um, 
mean, I love NASA anyway, but we are really big fans of you, NASA, this week. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I'm excited about the role models. The fact that yeah. young girls now can add astronaut to their list. And, you know, if my daughter came to me and she said, I want to be an astronaut, I could functionally say it's possible. It's it's close to being impossible based on, on the <laughs> you numbers. You would say it's a bit tricky, love. Yeah, well, it's a bit tricky, my dear. Um, but it, it's possible. It, you know, it's something that she could train to do and be because it's happening. And, you know, there could be a point where actually the majority of the astronauts going into space are women. So that really explains Yeah, it's nice me. not to have a token woman, you know, mm. and to go, OK, well, it's pretty much 50-50. You can't argue with that, can you? You can't, yeah. you know, look at that and go, well, you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's achievable. Great point, isn't it? It's so nice to not just be the only woman doing yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Fabulous story. We love that. Um, and then the story that I have been th- talking about this week, and it's really caught, captured my attention, so don't judge me. I have been watching Love Island. Yes. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, but this week on Love Island, something happened that has never before happened on ITV2, and that is feminism came to a reality TV <laughs> show. Lord me. ITV doing feminism. I'm like, what is happening to the world? Uh, so if you're not watching it, what happened? Love Island is a show where basically they put a load of men and women in a villa in, I think it's Mallorca, and then they tell them to hook up. It is everything that feminism is not. Like, if you're single, you get booted out of the villa. If you're, you have to be heterosexual for it to work. You have to be basically under 25 and with a body that looks like it's come out of a clean eating guide. That's how you get on this show. Um, and it does things like it has the booty Olympics where girls have to bounce their bums around. It's it's just not feminism, okay? <laughs> but anyway, one, two, two people on the show who have been potentially getting together are a woman called Camilla and her prospective beau Johnny they've been flirting for a few days it looked like something was going to happen and then Camilla and Johnny got into a discussion about feminism in which Johnny who up until this point had seemed like a very nice very charming young man uttered the immortal sentence oh you're one of those feminists aren't you (laughs) beat down Oh. <laughs> and Camilla gave him a very strong talking to about why she was indeed one of those feminists and we all cheered um, but what was really interesting to me about this story was that on finding out this A, Johnny and Camilla swiftly ended all hope of romance but also it showed a completely different side to womanhood which is not usually allowed on those shows mm. if you think of every reality TV show which dominate our screens we don't show women talking about this stuff Ever. Emma, I know you are a bit of a reality TV fan secretly. Yes. I, can't, I haven't really got into Love Island, but now you've told me this story, I'm like really interested. But what what I found really interesting was uh, the conversation. So he was upset. He They were talking about who pays for dinner when you go out on a date. And he was basically like, there's mortified if it, the thought of him letting a girl pay for him. Like that would just damage his masculinity so much and I'm just like I just find the male ego just fascinating and that a simple thing like paying for a man can em- emasculate them and then I look back at all the relationships that didn't work out <laughs> and now I can, now I'm having a lot more I'm having an epiphany over here of like oh okay I'm just emasculating all the men I date <laughs> accidentally on purpose <laughs> and I think the other thing is it kind of comes on this trend if you saw this week now did you see the tweets from JK Rowling mm-hmm. about so she was tweeting sort of what they call subtweeting, so not naming, but quite clearly pointedly, um, about a male writer she knows who had called Theresa May a whore after the general election. And she was saying, you cannot call yourself a liberal man if you still use those words about women. Yeah. And this is the point for me, which is like all these guys who are out there saying, no, I'm a feminist, I'm a liberal, but their automatic response behaviour goes back 50 years. Now, have you yeah. found that? Definitely. You know, there are um, men that I have conversations with and they they functionally get it and they will say all of the right things. But when when you put the actual, you know, the ball in their court and then say, okay, well, how would you operate and function in, in your actual life? They're like, oh, 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 no. But they know what they should say because they've read it and they perceive themselves to be liberal and worldly and all of the unprogressive and all of these other things. But the reality is when it's in their own home, they're not playing it. I just want to say I was an early adopter of Loving Love Island from series one. And I've always enjoyed it because of the relationship dynamics. In the first series, um, the women 
chose a lot more of you know the relationships in in who they were with and on the the, the heterosexual side actually you don't have to be in a male female couple you can be in actually they did have two lesbians last yeah. in the last series i yeah. call that bit. so again and i thought so i thought that was relatively relatively progressive i mean itv also do take me out so i mean <laughs> We can't ask too much. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I do, I, I do think it's something that means that young women that are watching a show like Love Island might be like, oh, that's what it looks like when a guy doesn't believe that I should be equal to him. I agree. I'm hoping that it's going to generate a whole new spin-off reality TV show. Of angry the feminists. Angry feminists <laughs> on ITV. I love it. Rabid feminists. <laughs> ITV, here's a whole new concept. We're up for hosting that. <laughs> Piers Morgan could join us on that one. <laughs> I can't wait. Can't wait for that. Do you know what? If you like that idea, <laughs> you want to be on the show with us, tweet us and let us know. At Badass Women's Hour, HR, at Badass Women's Hour, angry rabid feminists on ITV too. Let's make it happen um, so coming up in our next section we have the founders of Albright which is an investment platform for women we're going to be talking about money entrepreneurships how to invest in other women with Anna Jones and Debbie Wasco and of course we'll also have our badass balls ups our pro- your problems that we try and solve and a backdated badass so stay tuned for all of that Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio she'll get you talking Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And today we're lucky enough to also be joined by Anna Jones and Debbie Wasco, the founders of Albright, which is an investment fund for specifically women's businesses. Is that right, ladies? Have That's I got it right. right? Yeah, you have. Yeah. Debbie, tell us, how did Albright come to be? What was the motivation behind it? Well, Anna and I um, have been friends for some time and also um, have spoken on various industry panels about the topic of female entrepreneurship. Why is the data so terrible? Only 10% of all capital globally goes to a business with a woman in the senior leadership team. Last year in the UK, only 2.7% of venture capital went to a female CEO. That's 2.7%. That is tiny. And on the other side of the table, there are still very few women actually investing. Only 7% of venture capital investors are female, only 14% of angels in the UK. And Anna and I, as mates, decided that we'd had enough of this. So about a year ago, over a cocktail, we sat with the wrong side of the menu. And the essay question that we mapped out was, how do you make the UK the best place in the world to be a female founder of a business? One in 10 women in the UK say that they want to start their own business, but they actually don't. So how do you build an ecosystem of fantastic, badass female entrepreneurs to contribute to UK PLC to realise their dreams. And that's what has been motivating Anna and I to launch and develop Albright. Fantastic. And Debbie, you were obviously an entrepreneur before anyway, but Anna, is this your first step into entrepreneurship? I guess I've been a frustrated entrepreneur. (laughs) Maybe I would call myself an intrapreneur. So um, I have had a long... um, history in the corporate world so I have I guess bought and sold and started businesses but always for a corporate so this has been my first foray into being a a founder myself. And what have you learned along the way so far? Uh, that things you can move much more quickly Mm. you know that's you can move at warp speed which is really fun we make the decision about what we want to do today and then we just do it Um, you obviously don't have a juggernaut behind you so there's no question of who's going to do it it's like you have to do it yourself so that's you know interesting different to being in a big corporate but um, it's a lot of fun very much can do and extremely hard work yeah (laughs) so this week is London Tech Week and I vetoed going to any events. There were lots of events about diversity and I thought, okay, bored, because we had this conversation last year and we had this conversation the year before. This platform is a step forward in terms of moving into action and doing, but what else can we do to support female founders to start up, to grow beyond just the conversation? Yeah, and I think that's an absolutely great point and you speak our language, which is, Uh, Both of us are doers rather than Mm -hmm. talkers. And so what Albright is and how people can help to support what we're doing and to build out this ecosystem. So it's a funding platform. So we're able to, through an investment team, back women who have great businesses that will return investment to their shareholders. And Mm -hmm. that's the other really important step in all of this, that women deliver 
really great returns. So forget the mission for a moment. Mm -hmm. Women deliver on average 35% better returns than men. So how can we get more people investing? And as part of that, how can we get more women investing? Because you don't need to be Warren Buffett to invest. If you come to the Albright platform, you can invest as little as a thousand pounds in a tax efficient manner, and you can pay it forward if you like and be part of that ecosystem to back other female founders. So I think that's a really important ask. If you look back to this one in 10, with the women who aren't starting their own businesses but say they want to, Mm. then the practical question is why? And the answer is three different reasons according to our data. The first is skills. Um, And again, it's hard to talk about this without massively gender stereotyping, but nonetheless, if you bear with us, (laughs) um, women often want to tick every single box before they start. So how do we skill women up in order to be able to do that? So at the end of this month, we launched our first pilot of the Albright Academy, Mm -hmm. which is a 12-week program that you can sign up to as a fledgling entrepreneur, which is essentially the documentation of everything that's in our heads and the heads of people that we know about. How do you actually take something from being an idea to being a reality? How do you skill it up? As part of that as well, reason number two is network. Mm -hmm. So women are not often, um, and I think this is where all of us around the table are lucky, uh, blessed with the network that men have in terms of a support network, in terms of building their own mini ecosystem to get them going. Mm -hmm. So how do we create that? And that's something that the Albright Academy when it launches on 26th of June will provide for people because digitally you sign up in a cohort of a dozen and they're your girl gang, right? So how are you there to support each other? Mm -hmm. And the third thing that we hear time and time again is confidence. Anna and I see this in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Women pitch for capital in a very different way to men and they're not always as good at selling the dream. Um, And frequently we see fantastic female entrepreneurs since we've launched Albright who are coming to us, you know, in a reasonably emotional way to say, thank God this is here Mm -hmm. because actually we don't want to always and only ask men for money. Mm -hmm. So I guess the what can people practically do? Firstly, that one in 10 can give it a go, right? So instead of saying I've had this brilliant idea, but I don't know about how to raise capital, I don't know how to create an employee share option scheme, or I can't find a technical co-founder. That's what Albright will help you to do. And the second thing is put your money where your mouth is. So if I simplify this, if I'm sitting at home listening to this, I can go onto the website as a woman with an idea and register and join your academy. And you you will be able to at the end of this month. So hold your horses. Nearly nearly ready. And and what we um, really believe is this thing around community. So it's also about convening women together. So we are launching um, our first festival of female founders at the end of the month Mm -hmm. um, called Found Her. Um, So we you know people can actually come and spend time with the community of founders, investors, the Albright team. We're doing uh, events across four days. We're doing 26 different events. We're also doing events up in Manchester, beginning of July. So we've got six days. We think it's really important, this thing about, you know, if you want to be it, you need to see it. Mm -hmm. So this is about showcasing phenomenal female founders and phenomenal female talent. And I guess that's the the other practical thing. Exactly. So you can join the Academy 26th of June, but right now, if you go to the Albright website or if you go to Found Her Festival, Mm -hmm. And you can come along to one of the events and they're and they're completely open to people. So do it. Come, start, meet um, the people, get on. Money with it. in my pocket. If I have a thousand pounds and I'm saying, right, I'm gonna invest in some women, I can go to the website. Yes, sign up as an sign angel. Up. Brilliant. Absolutely. And then see this pipeline of great founders and great businesses that you can invest in personally. Perfect. Action. That's what we need. We need action and we need to sort of take our our future into our own hands. Yeah. Talking of action as well, as an entrepreneur myself, I'm starting to realise that one of the things that, that I think is to do with my gender is that I'm not taking big enough risks. I'm not comfortable with lots of debt. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to really like push that because when I talk to a lot of male entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs the the general and again I am gender stereotyping but from the lots of conversations I have with male founders is they are very focused on big growth head down two or three years they know exactly what their exit plan is do you do anything about that encouraging you know how can you help somebody like me to take like bigger risks what would you I think a big part of it is really about the planning up front so a lot of the women we see are not necessarily sitting down and doing that work with an excel spreadsheet planning the finances looking three years out to Debbie's point they might have an idea and sort of think oh I'll just try this with a few of my mates that's great that's what we'd call that kind of 
minimum viable product stage. But it's really important to think, okay, if it gets traction, mm. and, I, and I can see it's got traction over the three months that you're trialling it, what does that look like three years out? And sit there, actually do the maths, get a calculator, work out what will happen if that growth continues. And if people invest in your business, how can you get it to the next level? How do you scale it? But it is important to, to put that time in in the early days. Did the two of you, when you decided you wanted to found this together, did you sit down and work out how you were going to work as partners as opposed to just as friends? Because often we start a business yeah. and we've got a great idea with our mate and it's going to be really fun. <laughs> and then two weeks in, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to kill them. How, how did know, it work? It's a very good question. And I'll, I'll be interested to see what AJ says. I'll give my version of events. <laughs> Sometimes in life, you're just totally blessed in a relationship, aren't you? And I think Anna and I have just very quickly kicked into what I'm good at and what she's good at and where we overlap without really having to map it out. And it's something that we've been asked a lot, who does what and how, what happens if you disagree? Um, I think we just, we don't have that. Um, or we haven't had to put that work in because it's just been very obvious. I think Anna is um, so brilliant at, um, she's used to running lots of different small companies she is the most elegant operator in terms of handling people um and she and i've learned a lot from her about what i would class as her soft power that's the thing about anna <laughs> so you, you, don't, you don't always know it's there necessarily but it's totally there um, and i think i bring a different skill set because i started my first business at 25 i'm from a family of quite scrappy entrepreneurs that's all i really know how to do so i'm definitely long on hustle uh, and sort of sharp of elbow i suppose so we've just we've kicked into that quite quickly i think back to this point about being blessed in a relationship we just have such a laugh mm. um you know even when we have totally horrendous days and i think this is a thing that we talk about a lot to fledgling entrepreneurs i know it all looks perfect and glossy and like we've just pulled this thing out of the bag there are days and weeks that are really hard the best quote i've heard about entrepreneurship recently is that for every overnight success story there are 10 years of a founder chewing on glass wanting to give up and not doing it and believe me having done this my whole career that is what it's like and it really helps if at the end of the day you've got someone who you can look at laugh go and have a cocktail and you know plan yeah. world domination i think we're, we're just really lucky i think with that. i think sense of humor is really really important so we've both got pretty dark sense of humor all that <laughs> and so we do laugh at some of the most grim things it just keeps us going and also about communication i think we've we tightly communicate every day we know we start texting and whatsapping from sort of the minute we open our eyes so that's very important and, and keeps us very close and keeps the business moving forward at pace Okay, so we're going to ask you a bit more about yourselves and how you work in our next section, which is, of course, our badass bulls ups. That's the part of the show where we ask you to send us your problems so we can help you solve them. Generally, we try our best. I'm not sure how helpful we are, but this week <laughs> we've got Debbie and Anna, so I think it's going to be really good. Okay, <laughs> so stay tuned for that, and we'll be back after this break. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And this week we also have the founders of Allbright, a platform for female entrepreneurs to get investment and to invest in other women, Debbie Wasco and Anna Jones. Thanks for joining us, ladies. Uh, so this is our Badass Balls Up, the section of the show where we try and use our combined wisdom, nearly 100 years of it, to solve your problems. Uh, so our first problem this week actually comes from Tina on our Facebook page. And it is one that I slightly over-identify with. Um, so Tina says, I have got to my early 30s and I'm finding when I go out for a night out, I'm waking up feeling much worse than I did in my 20s. Not just hungover, but with a slight fear. Is it time for me to accept I'm just too old for this and I need to give up the booze? Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Debbie we're actually going to start with you because uh, I know you've got quite a I've kind of you've got a routine haven't you uh, well, tell us my, about that my co-founder and I may disagree on this one <laughs> um, but I'll give you the hard I'll give you the hard truth from my perspective which is that I get up at 20 past 5 every day oh. and I have a 6 year old and an 8 year old and I check my email and I have a hot water and lemon and from six or seven in the morning, I exercise every single day. And and to my mind, that is just absolutely part of getting my head in the game. And I, there is no way I could do what I do without doing that because I think it's time to yourself. 
you know, every single successful entrepreneur that writes a book about what they've done and how they've done it focuses on healthy mind, healthy body. Mm. I think it's about self-love and self-care. And I think it's about um, how to be the best you can be. Now, that makes me sound like Mary Poppins. And to some extent, <laughs> I am, which doesn't mean you can't have a good time. But you're not giving yourself the best chance of success and focus if you feel compromised every morning. I think the importance of sweating every day, and in my mind, I'm not a yoga person, I need to hit something. So I'm (laughs) making contact with a boxing bag most mornings, and it's therapy. And then by the time you start your day, you've forgotten about it. So my advice would be, swap the booze for the green juice, set the alarm a bit (laughs) earlier, and start looking after yourself, and you'll find that your life changes. Have you always been like that, or is that something you adopted? Always. I think think there's also something about people who have focus, um, having some kind of connection with sport, which I have had because I was a gymnast as a kid and a rower and all that sort of stuff. I think I've always been an early riser, and when I talk... I I give a speech that I give to young um, women or women in schools about things that they need to do in order to be best set for success. And one of them is get up early. And if you're not an early riser, train yourself to be an early riser. Don't chase the day. And I think for me, I set up Love Homespot, which has been my business for the last five years, um, with a very, very tiny child. And the only way that you can get all of those things to work, and Anna and I have the same thing. We each have two children very very busy work lives is to get up early and don't chase the day and that's how you fit it in Anna are you the same Uh, I agree with getting up early I'm also an early riser but I have to say that I believe a bit more in balance I think a bit more (laughs) (laughs) a bit more about everything in moderation so um, I would say if you're waking up feeling dreadful you're probably just you know let's reduce from the three glasses of wine to two or you know the bottle to half a bottle depending on the on the levels Um, because I think I actually think having a good time and going out and sharing a wine or a cocktail is an important bonding thing for friendships for business for just connecting with people generally so I think um, it is important it's part of our kind of fabric and our our culture Um, but I think if you're waking up feeling dreadful that's not good for you it's not good for the people around you so you know I think it's about balance and moderation. Now you like a little drink at the end of the day don't you? (laughs) Yeah M diagnosed that I have a relationship with wine glasses (laughs) it's not the actual liquid inside it's the glass so I talk about wine and I'm like yay and I talk about champagne and my my arms start swaying and I get excited so I've started having mocktails or just anything in a wine glass and it's the behavioural but she's telling me that I need to get better and start disassociating my behaviour of enjoying holding that glass. Yeah so she was associating too much pleasure with because I think that's the thing with alcohol like I can take or leave alcohol I go through months of not drinking and then I will have a drink and I do find there's something about the relaxation of alcohol that sometimes I can't even get myself to that kind of chilledness (laughs) but I think there can be a lot of drivers between drinking which is about pleasure which is about that emotional release and Mm -hmm. it's about it's like a reward yeah Mm. it is and when you do that it's really hard to stop Mm. drinking and that's what Nat and I were talking about it's like you're associating an awful lot of pleasure just by the way that something looks and if you take that out you can chill on the booze and I also think there's something about I love that point it's actually it is a little bit about self-love right if you're waking up and you're feeling terrible stop doing it to yourself you need something more uh, Emma, what is your problem for this week? So I have a good question this week. This comes from Jessica, um, who's in our Flock network, network. And she has a bit of a team. She's got about five people on her team. And she said, I really try to be a fair boss. Like She's a really inspiring boss, actually, the way she leads her team. And she's very generous as well. And uh, she said, but the thing is, I sometimes feel like people are taking advantage of that. Like, how do I... How can I still be a good boss? But like, when do you, how do you stop people taking advantage of you being generous with those extra times off or those little favours? Or do you just not, should you just not do it? Anna, is this your soft power? Um, Probably. I think it comes back again to balance, really. So I think it's important to set out boundaries for people because when you're the boss, you've got to act like the boss. It's the same as being a parent, really. You have to set boundaries, give people some structure, something that they understand. This is acceptable. This is not acceptable. If you don't do that in the beginning, then it is hard to get respect from people. So it's really important how you position yourself in the beginning. And then all of the kind of soft skills and the team bonding, the culture, the things that, that set you apart and that people can come and talk to you, that comes, that, that, that follows. But I think mm. it you, you've got to set it out 
to start with, um, set the expectations, and then people know what you what you need and, and what you want. But I do think it's very important for bosses to be approachable and open. But if that's all you are, if you're just trying to be people's mate, um, I think you're probably sending out the wrong signals. I think there's something else in there about style and communication, particularly in a small business. Um, people are there to work. You can see this like different <laughs> styles between Anna and I. Um, you know, and so if you're asking people to work and work hard, they've got to know what for. And I, I think therefore the flip of the being open and approachable, which I agree with, is be very, very target driven in the way that you run the business and in the way that you communicate to everybody at every level about what you want them to do and why and finally what's in it for them. So I think that um, there's a con there's a sort of social contract in all of that, which is if you're asking people to work hard and to treat it and you with respect, they've got to know what's in it for them. So I would um, really emphasize, even when you feel that there are things that are complex or not perfect in the business, tell your team about it. Tell them what's happening. Always over communicate with your team. I think that's how you get buy-in. Mm. I think that's a really interesting one. So when I remember when I was working for a big corporate and we were sent off on a management training day and one of the exercises we had to do was they split us into two groups and one group stayed in the room and had to work on a puzzle and they were going to tell us all about what they wanted us to do. The second group who'd gone out of the room when we came back. And when we were outside the room and we did not know what was going on, I mean, we formed a trade union, <laughs> we started negotiating what we wanted, you know, all this, we created all these stories in our heads about what was happening. And so I think actually sometimes being a good boss is just about being clear about this is what's going on, this is what I need you to do. And this is how it has to happen. Yeah, and, and tell the good and the bad. Yeah, I think yeah. That's, yeah. that's important. I'm going to add um, manage expectations. I've um, built teams where you have junior members and they don't have anything to compare the working environment to. So they assume the Haribo not being filled up is the worst thing in the world because there is no comparison in terms of what bad actually looks like. So spending some time and, and, and thinking about that and managing, managing the expectations of what you can functionally give them in a startup when there isn't that much money and having a conversation about value, but then focusing it back on the vision, the direction of travel of where everyone's going, and then those boundaries. That's another way of getting through it. So you turn into the boss who goes, oh, well, back in my day. There was no Haribo then. Uh, okay, so our final problem for this week, um, very appropriate for you guys. Um, so this comes from Nat. What is it? Tell us. So Nina sent us a tweet and she was asking about going from an organic business and something that was sort of a side hustle to uh, building a business that's her main thing. And she was asking specifically about monetization. How does she start to think about the money and building a business that's bringing in enough revenue that supports her salary, but also the salary of others? I mean, look, always think about the money you know think about the money all the time uh, and I think that um, for digital entrepreneurs in particular that's a really really important mantra because it's not always the case and we see that when we see lots of people with fantastic ideas and our very basic question is always how does it make money right mm -hmm. so I think for her she's got to figure that out because if it doesn't it's a hobby it might end up being an expensive hobby if mm -hmm. she gets that wrong um, I think the flip of that is our advice is always just roll the dice, you know, to this point we were discussing earlier about women sometimes being risk averse or not thinking big enough. In that sense, I guess both of us are outliers, me because all I've ever really done is to think about how you make things bigger. Anna, because she quit the best job in London. To come <laughs> to me. So we're obviously people who are prepared to roll the dice and always back yourself mm. um, because it's part of this point around the things that we talk about that as women founders you've got to have a super thick skin Anna always talks about the rhino hide and it's totally true not everyone will like you not everyone will like your idea women have got to shape that notion that it's really important to be liked so be ready for all of that but be certain or as certain as you can be that you're backing something which is going to make money for you and other people otherwise keep it as a hobby and if you don't know then you need to go and ask so you need to go and find people who are in the same sort of area do your research mm -hmm. find your tribe if you like so find that community how you know what what are the steps you need to take to take the business to the next level you know this, we we talked before about 
the Albright Academy, we feel really strongly that we can handhold people to work out whether it is just a hobby or actually it can be a great business. And that doesn't need to take years. That can take weeks. Yeah. And I think just final point on that on Tribe, um, you know, Anna and I are super lucky and in London this really does exist. Uh, that there's a whole group of amazing women who are very supportive of each other, who are setting up their own businesses. Come along to our Found Her events and find your own because nothing gives you confidence like seeing other people who look and feel like you doing it and getting on with it. I think that's a big part of taking the leap in the first place. Thank you. So we... um that was, I think, is some brilliant startup advice there. But if you want more, if you want to know what else you can be doing, you know what you should do? You should tweet us and ask, because then we can ask the experts for you. So you can find us at Badass Women's Hour, HR, at Badass Women's Hour, or on Instagram or on Facebook, all the socials. Um, and we'll be back here next week with more problems, more badass balls ups that we will try and solve. But coming up next, we have our backdated badass. That's a woman from history that you absolutely need to know more about. And this one was more than just a renaissance woman she was a woman with a lot of secrets badass women's hour with harriet mincer natalie campbell and emma sexton on talk radio she'll get you talking imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And it's that time of the week where we talk about our backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know more about. And this week's backdated badass is brought to us by Natasha Lunn, the features editor of Red Magazine. Hi, Natasha. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, thanks for coming on. Who are you talking about this week? So my backdated badass is a writer called Afra Ben, who I first discovered when I was reading Virginia Woolf's essay, A Room of One's Own. Um, and I, I heard about her talking about a writer called Afra Ben, and I thought, who is this woman? And I was ashamed to say I'd never heard about before. Um, I'll read you a bridge line of, that she wrote because it kind of gives you a great introduction. But she says... All women together ought to let flowers fall upon the tomb of Afra Ben, for it was she who earned them the right to speak their minds. So when I read that, I thought, God, Virginia Woolf is telling us we're indebted to this writer, and I don't even know who she is. So I started reading about her, and she is a British playwright, poet, translator, and fiction writer from the 1600s. And she wrote about the things that very few people were writing about openly at the time, female desire, sexuality, same-sex love between women and forced marriage. So she's a kind of person who was breaking the cultural barriers for us later down the line. Amazing. And why have we not heard more about her? Why has she been sort of, why has she disappeared into history, do you think? Well, in the 19th century, I mean, at the time, she was obviously criticised by people who thought it was inappropriate for a woman to be writing about these things and people who said that her writing style was too masculine. And actually one of her poems about kind of very openly sexual poem was accredited to a man, the Earl of Rochester at first, and she only later got credit for it. So sort of in the 19th century, her work was overlooked. 
in the 20th century, it was brought to light and she was recognised as one of the most amazing playwrights of her time. But I think many of us now, you know, I studied English and I'm ashamed to say I didn't know about her. And um, I was reading Jenny Murray's book about her and she too said hadn't come across her. So I think it's just, you know, these women aren't on the curriculum and we need to shout about them more and I guess take it on ourselves to find out about them. And um, so she was also living during the time of the civil war, English Civil War. Um, and there are rumours that she actually acted as a spy. Have you heard that? Yes. I mean, the other amazing thing about her is, I guess, if you look into her history, a lot of people say she might have done this or she probably did this because very little is actually known about the first 27 years of her life. So, yes, she was rumoured to be a spy. And actually, after that, she got into a lot of debt and her husband died. So she had no money and she was, you know, one of the first women to make a living from writing and to identify as a professional writer. So I think, you know, when I look at her now, I think she wrote 19 plays. She was writing when she was so ill she couldn't hold a pen. She was writing, you know, when she was really in debt. It was the way that she got out of poverty. So I guess she's somebody who teaches us to keep going and to you know, really value making money for ourselves. Amazing. Yeah. One of the things that is, is really sort of jumping at me is just how much she did push the envelope in the, the 1600s. So um, one of her sort of best-known plays is called Orinoco, and it's the tale of an uh, enslaved African prince. And she explores slavery, race and gender, which the exploration of that in, you know, in 1688 would have been quite taboo uh, but also very forward thinking and then she also explored sexual encounters but from the point of a woman and again mm. that is I think for that time would have been a completely different way of thinking because we were not supposed to enjoy sex we're still not supposed to enjoy sex so the fact that she was doing it in in 1688 and you know we're still having these conversations and um you know I, I just it, it it's just I, I'm ashamed of the fact that I don't know who she is or I didn't know who Me she is too. until now and I think another one is she was writing about forced marriage in 1670. And actually, wow. when you think about the fact that we only banned forced marriage in the UK in 2014, wow. makes you realise how extraordinary it was. And I guess on a more personal level for me, I'm a romantic. <laughs> and, um, you know, when she's talking about forced marriage, she's always sort of arguing the case for true love and pleading for a love that isn't connected to power or status. Mm. Um, so that's another reason why I love her. Amazing. And one of the things I've noticed just um, in our research of her, we have some pictures that are portraits that have been painted of her. And in all the portraits, she just has this absolute do not mess with me look. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> just this look which is like, I don't know who this portrait painter is, but I am not, ha- I do not have time for him. She's got bitch resting face. Yeah, She's totally. like, please, <laughs> yeah. t- tell, me, tell me something because I'm about to slap her. Yeah, that's what she's It's thinking. always amazing though, these stories. Like again, another woman in history doing incredible things pushing the conversation and with it, all these women have just been kept really quiet and like you say we're not we just haven't heard about them and really like it's really frustrating look at these incredible people doing incredible things and pushing things and and yet we you know we don't know anything about them Natasha do you think it's different for women writers today do you think we're still not as vocal or not seen and heard as much as we could be well, I guess one of the reasons I chose her, because I was thinking about, you know, the current political climate and, and the many ways that women are still silenced. And I think women like me, you know, I take it for granted that I have a space where I can write and voice my views. But even today, some women are still fighting to have that mm. space. I mean, uh, the author, Morgan McCarthy, wrote a piece for us when she was talking about how in countries like Afghanistan, female literacy rate stands at less than half of men's. Poverty, religious oppression, pressure to marry young and have kids. These are all things that are preventing women from finding a safe space to read and write, even still today. So what's the big lesson that we can take from her? What's the the badass lesson to be learnt? I mean, I think she was so prolific. She makes me just want to write more, do more, be braver and to care less about what other people think. Mm. But I think particularly today, it's just that if you've got that space, to write or to say what you think you've got to use it and you know she kept on doing that right until the very end so I think that's certainly something I took from her just to get out there and use that space fantastic Natasha thank you so that's Afra Ben who is the backdated badass this week from Natasha Lund features editor at Red Magazine 
Um, and now we're coming towards the end of our show, but as ever, we like to leave you with a little something, a little badass principle to live your life by for the next seven days. Something to give you a bit of guidance and wisdom. Nat, what is our badass principle this week? The badass principle this week is give big. And it's it's really a, a, a request um, to donate, to donate to the families um, and the survivors of the Grenfell Tower disaster. I don't even know what other word to, to, to put on it, but to give big um, and make sure that you follow the social media uh, calls out for the things that they need, because this isn't something that, you know, is just affecting us this week and we forget about it next week. These families will need things in the coming weeks, in the coming months. So whatever you've got, just keep a little box aside of stuff that you're willing to drop down. Um, so give big. I agree. And if you want to give actual things, as Nat said, if you follow us on social media, we'll retweet some of the places you can donate to. But also if you want to give money, that Just Giving link that we mentioned earlier in the show is justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash families of Grenfell Tower. Um, so what does it mean for you to give big? I think always coming from a place of, of generosity is always a good thing to do. And I think now's the time, especially in the recent um, you know, terrorist attacks as well, is that we really just need to be more giving to our community, to our neighbours, to just think, come from a place of generosity rather than a place of like fear or like selfishness, basically. That's where I'm taking this place of generosity that is where we are coming from for the next seven days and we hope that you are too and that you'll be back with us next week here on talk radio when the badass runes out we'll be back again but in the meantime, if you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour, all on Instagram or facial, all the socials. Or you can talk to us individually. Find me at Harriet Minter, Emma. At Emma Sexton. And Nat. At Nat D. Campbell. And we'll be back here again next week. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.